Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to note that this interview took place over two weeks ago, and our guest did a great job quarantining and is now home with his family. All right, let's get started. I think every professional can attest to this is you have a lot of downtime and you have a lot of time to yourself and you have a lot of the, the only person who should really be invested in your next paycheck is you. So you're almost like a solo entrepreneur the whole time. So if you have that mindset, if you can, you know, if you can understand that your body and your basketball game is a business, um, that, that will make sure you have a longer career because you'll make decisions based off of that, not just off of, oh, I really like this game. If you know, And that, that takes a while to understand. Um, so for younger players, it's just trying to be an open sponge and be driven for what you want because there's a lot of times you got to go to the gym by yourself. you got to miss out on parties. You know, I've missed out on a lot of beach days. I'm scared of the sun. I'm ginger, so it's fine. But, <laughs> um, you know, I missed out on a lot of stuff. And, and that's the one thing that you're going to do. But it, at the end of the day, if it's something that you're really passionate about and, and want to do it, um, you should really go for it. And you got to just kind of keep your head down and go. Another season in the books. The podcast featuring professional athletes who have taken their careers overseas. We'll hear about their seasons, come and gone, the process, their struggles, and what it's been like living and playing overseas. We'll also talk academics and the differences between the European and the American systems. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 12-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Let's get to it. He started out in a small Minnesota town, surrounded by a family of athletes. His older brother paved the way and kept Mike quick on his feet, something that would come full circle and perhaps contribute to his future basketball career. Mike Bruzewitz left Litchfield after his senior year of high school, accepting a college scholarship to play basketball at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Mike's outgoing personality, shaggy red hair, and quick feet on defense soon made him a crowd favorite. After a tough yet successful college career, Mike graduated in 2013 and embarked on what is proving to be a culturally rich professional career. Hey, Leslie. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm hanging out in uh, Minnesota in the United States on uh, day 12 of self-quarantine. There you go. You're being responsible. I appreciate that. Trying to be as responsible as I can before I go hang out with my family. Um, since right. I, you know, since I was just in Europe a couple of weeks ago and flew through some pretty major airports, so taking yeah. my social social responsibility pretty seriously at well, the detriment of my own craziness. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate that because I think more and more people need to be doing the same thing, and. Uh, yeah, you're you're 100% by yourself. What have you been doing to keep yourself sane over the past 13 days? Because it it gets difficult. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, a lot of FaceTime, um, a lot of sugar, and a lot of naps. With some video games, some reading, and uh, watching a lot of television. I've just been pretty lazy. Some small workouts here, here and there, but. A lot of video games the last like <laughs> week. That's been that's been keeping me entertained. 
um, for a while. But it's been difficult. You know, it's it's weird because I'm home in Minnesota, um, and I just got back from living in Lithuania and playing in Lithuania. And for me, it was when I'm home, I want to go see my friends and family. And uh, it's been probably the most challenging, just like being like, oh, hi guys, I can I can almost touch you, but I can't. Like it's not allowed. Like you're right in front of me, but it's not allowed. You know? Yeah, so, so close yet so far. Yeah, the the marshmallow project. I have to wait a couple more weeks before I can eat that second marshmallow. So. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Um, the reward will be, you know, even greater. Um, <laughs> so to get started, I'm just curious, tell me about your first, uh, recollection, your first memory of sports when you were a little kid. Uh, for me, my recollection of sports was watching my brother play a lot of sports. Um, he's five years older than me. Um, okay. and I'm the baby of the family. So I got to watch everybody else play sports. Um, the only time I didn't was when I got to go uh either ice skating with my family with like my family or the one that I really enjoyed the most the, uh, the one I enjoyed the most was uh open gym basketball with my dad oh That's, he was yeah. playing yeah so he would play at a open gym like older man like older guys open gyms every Wednesday and Sunday um because I grew up in a smaller town called Litchfield Minnesota uh-huh. It's like 6,000 people, so it's a smaller community, so there'd be just a group of guys that would play every Wednesdays and Sundays, and I would go up with him. And mm-hmm. never got to really play in the games. I'd always just shoot on the side, but that was one of my favorite favorite right. times growing up, for sure. I love it. I have memories of that, too. My dad used to play in, like, a church league, and I, I would go and, you know, run around and have very vague memories, but I do remember that. Um, so you would say that you grew up in a very sport oriented family. I mean, if your dad played, your brother played, um, I don't know if your mom participated in sports as well. Uh, she, she wasn't allowed to, she's a little bit older. Um, so they, they had girls basketball. She went to a Catholic school. She actually went to Benilde St. Margaret's in Minneapolis. Um, so she went there. They didn't have women's sports other than like three on three half court basketball, but uh, she was 6'2", and she's left-handed, so I think she would have been pretty talented. Um, you know, my brother played uh, – he, he played football at, uh, at Princeton okay. um, for four years. My sister actually uh, went to St. Catharines, a Division three school here and played in Minnesota and played basketball um, for a year. Um, she was also a pretty good swimmer. So athletics was very, uh, very prominent in my family. We're also a bunch of giants. <laughs> Like, take the Erickson family from How I Met Your Mother, and that's my family. <laughs> so your mom is 6'2". How tall is your dad? 6'4". Six 6'4". Four. Six four. Okay, so he's actually not that tall. I mean, he's mom, tall, but mom, he's not. Yeah. My mom gave us all the height. I have a couple of 6'6 six, six uncles, three or four of them. Had a couple, like, great uncles that were almost 7 foot, so. Okay. Some giants in my genes. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what, like, the the fights were like between you kids when you guys were younger. I mean, watch out. That's where I learned how to wrestle. <laughs> my brother. I learned how to, it, I'm going to be quite honest. When I was growing up, having to try and like outmaneuver my giant older brother was one of the better things for my basketball career. Right. I <laughs> yeah. I can attest to that. I've had to guard some giant humans in my basketball career and uh, practicing with him at an early age helped. So how tall is he? He's six nine. Oh wow! Yeah, and he's a refri- at one point like when he was in college, he was like a refrigerator box, just super square, big dude, just like oh, you don't have a deck, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, because you're not, it's not like you're, you're a big, you're a big guy. You're six, six. I think what it says online is that you're two twenty. Um, there. Yeah. Your brother, six, nine. What do you think he topped out at as far um, as like, um, probably around three thirty? He was an offensive lineman. He was a left tackle. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He could have played. He, I mean, he could have played division one in basketball or football. Um, low, low major, like low major basketball. Um, and probably, you know, he had some mid-major offers and everything like that. Like he had offers for both. He was a very athletic dude. Yeah. You really had to had good footwork back then to get away from his grasp. <laughs> life or death. <laughs> a lot of them. A lot of life or death moments for me. I like to pick on older and giant, older and bigger people generally was fun for me to pick on. I was the, I was the little kid in the family. So. Right. Um, okay. So when would you say that you started taking basketball pretty seriously? Um, I would say probably around seventh grade, seventh or eighth okay. grade. Um, I just, I played hockey, um, as well. I was a two sport winter athlete cause it was the boonies and you could do that. Right. Um, and so I was actually a pretty decent hockey player and, and right around the time I was in eighth grade, I had an opportunity to either play up, um, in basketball and I had to go to like tryouts to see if I could play up in hockey. And they said I probably could have. Um, but I looked at my family tree and I was like, oh, there's a lot of giants around here. It's probably better if I play basketball. And I also, I was starting to like basketball a lot more at that point. And that was really when I started taking it really seriously. Like I played summer basketball pretty much from seventh grade or AAU summer basketball, pretty much from seventh grade to all the way up until my senior year. Okay. Um, and then we really turned on the, the heavier, more personalized training as I got older. Um, for AAU, did you play with a team near Litchfield or did you have to travel a ways to get to practice? Um, we did both. So I started off playing with a team, um, in St. Cloud. So it was about a 40 minute drive, but we would go, my dad would drive us, um, up there to play. My brother was playing AAU as well. Okay. Um, and it was back in like the early two thousands when my brother played. So the AAU circuit wasn't quite as prominent as it is today. Right. It was a very different scene back then, but it's, uh, but so he started with my brother and then I wanted to do that because I was like, oh yeah, I like, I like playing basketball. It's fun. And so, uh, first couple of years we did that. And then the better teams were in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so I was starting to become a better player and, um, went to a team that I played on called the Minnesota Red Eagles. They kind of, st- we played them. My team lost by like 30. And then my dad was like, you want to, would you want my son to play for you guys? <laughs> and uh, I played with them for a couple of years. And then uh, that was when I was driving back and forth before I ended up moving into Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Wow. Um, so the recruiting process for you, when did that start and how did that process kind of pan out? Because I know for a, a lot of young athletes, it's overwhelming. Um, they don't really know how to manage it. Um, what was that process like for you? For me, the process was, uh, it was fun and really stressful at times. Um, so it really started when I was like a sophomore, I had a big growth spurt. I was like six, three as a freshman. And then I just like sprouted up to six, 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 five mm-hmm. and a half. Um, and I was getting some attention from, I was, pl- I played varsity as a freshman in my, t- uh, my hometown, um, played AU and everything. So I was starting to get some letters, some call coaches were, you know, talking to me, division two schools around the, around the area were. And then uh, when I went on the on the road in AAU at uh, 16, when we played in like 16 and under tournaments right before my junior year of high school, 
um, that was when I really, really started getting attention. A lot of schools would call me. We would, um, I think we played down like in Arkansas and everything like that. So that's kind of when it picked up and I was like kind of mid-major at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I took a, I took a really big jump, um, like my middle of my junior year and I got a bunch of high major offers. So I got like Iowa, Wisconsin, um, Washington state, uh, Alabama all offered me within like a week. Wow. Yeah. Um, I had offers from like Valparaiso, um, was waiting one from Northern Iowa. So I had some like, uh, Missouri Valley schools and then like a bunch of big boys started coming. They're like, Oh, okay. The, the first big one was Iowa. Mm-hmm. And then after that, everybody started offering me. Um, did the university yeah. of Minnesota offer you? They did not. They had Tubby Smith. He had just came in um, and taken over for Dan Munson. Yeah. Also, they had uh, the. They already had a class. The guys ahead of me in my class were Royce White mm-hmm. and Rodney Williams. So for them, it made more sense. Like they hadn't really seen me, and I committed very early to Wisconsin. When I committed to Wisconsin, they were like top, I don't know, top five in the country. Wow. So you know, and I was I kind of prioritized winning over everything else. Okay. If I uh, if I would have done it over again, uh, you know, don't be wrong. I had a great college career. It's it's done a lot for me and my personal success. But if I were thinking just strictly in terms of basketball, I think I would have maybe went to a smaller school or a school out west because uh, it would have fit my game style and the more and a better professional style of basketball. A better professional style? What do you mean? Um, so one thing uh, is college basketball is very very different than professional basketball. We can both agree with that. It's much slower. There's much more sets oriented. Um, and the transition from college to pro can take some time. Mm-hmm. And so there's some colleges that play more of a pro style of basketball, whereas, you know, Wisconsin, we play half court, bunch of sets. That's most of the Big Ten is defensive grinded out with a lot of just like two or three actions to get a set. There's not a lot of continuity ball screen stuff. It's okay. a lot more rugged defense, whereas like if you went to some of the like Missouri Valley's a little bit of a faster paced, more, you know, a uh, professional style of game where it's up and down. Hmm. So for me, I think I would have, I would have preferred to go out to like the PAC 10, PAC 12, you know, a little more athletic up and down, up and down game would have been a little more suited for me. Okay. That's a interesting perspective that I hadn't really thought about. Um, because I would say the majority of universities, at least on the women's side, coaches in general, they're not really thinking about the next level and they're not really, I don't think trying to prepare their players for the next level. Um, because very few players reach the WNBA, uh, or the NBA. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I enjoyed listening to that. Um, Tell me what the transition was like for you when you did get to college as far as on court and off court, like the intensity of workouts, the weights, um, and then, of course, your classes. Um, I mean, in terms of what I was doing, like I was I worked out at a very high level from like 16 to when I started playing for a a club called 43 Hoops. Chris Carr um, was uh, like the he ran the, the program and he was like one of my main trainers and mentors. And that was when I really understood like what it was like to work at a professional level when I started working with professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up in Minnesota, I had a I had a great opportunity. I basically got the school of professional basketball when I was like 16 and 17. Um, you know, I was training three times a day, um, doing a really intense job. So that was where I got my foundation. So going to college, the biggest difference for me was the weight training. 
um, and just how adamant they were and, and the style of weight training that they had. Cause I didn't really like that. I liked a different style, but it was put on as much weight as you can. Cause you have to deal with large humans. <laughs> you know, that was, that was kind of the style of weight training. So that was a big transition for me. And then, and just in terms of on the court basketball, the size, the, the size and the length that every position changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, and having actually to deal with like real shot blocking and real rim protectors, that's a that's a different challenge than than most people can really understand as you go up a level. Right. But in terms of like the practices, you know, I'd played for some very I was very fortunate. I played for some high level coaches, um, you know, growing up. So I kind of understood I had some good structure and like going through the practices wasn't that intense. It was just, yeah, the size of on the court and then being tired all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was just tired all the time because we'd have weights early in the morning because apparently you can't lift weights before the sun comes up. Like that's just like a rule in college programs. Like you got to start lifting weights before the sun rises. I don't understand why. Can you tell was, me this, Leslie? Why? Was was this something during the whole year or just preseason or? The whole year. We did a lot of weight strength, strength and conditioning with the whole year. Yeah. Wow. Um, part of me can't help but think sometimes that coaches do that to make sure their guys are getting into bed at night. They do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's truth to that or not, but was it like a trust issue? Like they just wanted to make sure you guys were getting into bed early and taking care of yourselves or what? Apparently. Yeah. That like they're controlling our extracurricular activities where I say, treat me like an adult. And, uh, and if I mess up, it's my decision. Right. <laughs> but it's their money. So, I mean, it's their jobs on the line. Apparently we don't get paid for it. So yeah, I also think that's funny that you say that. Cause I would actually say like, if you started paying college players, they would actually take it a little bit more seriously. Hmm. If it was treated more like a job, then I feel like, cause it already kind of is, you just don't have that. There's only one person really making money off of it. So that's why they're able to control things. But Interesting. I dig- I okay, yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms, but, um, and what about as far as balancing your all of your practices with then, you know, your school and you had to maintain a minimum GPA in order to be able to compete? Um, was that adjustment difficult at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was never a big fan of school, to be quite honest. I, I'm very fortunate that I my parents gave me some good genes and I have a pretty decent brain so I can kind of get by on some stuff. Ah, you're one of those. I'm a lucky human. We'll just put it that way. (laughs) Like there was nothing more than just like, okay, I got some good genetics. Thank you. Uh, school was never a big priority for the, a big priority for me. It was just kind of, okay, let's get through this. If there was a class that I liked, I would always go to it. And I would like, I think I probably had like five or six A's in college and they were all classes. I was like, Oh, this is dope. I'm going to go to this. Mm-hmm. The rest of them, it was try and get by as much as you can talk to the professors a lot. Cause the other thing too, is like, it's hard to balance both. Like school was one thing and I wasn't already super interested in it. And I was already more interested in playing basketball. I was there for basketball. I wasn't there for school. Okay. You know, the way I was treated and the way our program was treated, like, we made a lot of money for the school and, you know, in terms of like how it was treated as a profession, it was, it was my job to go to practices. You, you, if it wasn't, then they would let me miss practice or schedule. Like there were certain classes that I had to take, you know, cause I couldn't take them during the school year. 
like during the the second part of the season because it was always during practice. Hmm. And they'd be like, all right, you got to move that. Like, oh, okay, so this is my main job. Got it. Right. And your major was? It was life science communications with an emphasis on business. Okay. Interesting. I took this major because it was the easiest track to get through school. Okay. It was a smaller college and there was some cool stuff. I wanted to do a business degree, but getting into the business school at Madison was super challenging and you actually had to do things. And I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying. I'm not going to do that. I already know that I'm not going to accept that. So the only way to take business classes from the business school was to get into this program. Okay. Um, So for me, it was cool. I had some good classes. Like I had some really cool professors. I liked it because it was smaller classes. So you got better professors that way. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I think of the University of Wisconsin-Madison and I think of a big school. Uh, I don't have like a vision of small class sizes. Yeah, it depends on what college you got into once you went, you know, once you decided. But, you know, some of them would be, you know, the like I have 40 or 50 people in a class. Like that would be a smaller class for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, 40 or 50 was small because I also had classes where I had like 700 people. Right. Well, in a yes. lecture. Yeah, a full lecture hall where it was like, okay. oh, okay. Right. Um, all right. And then obviously your your college career, uh, as, far as, as far as basketball went, you guys had quite a bit of success, um, quite a bit of national recognition. And I kind of laugh about it because when we first met, we met at a Maya Moore camp, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know how many years ago that was now. But I, because I'm older than you, I, I didn't really know who you were. Um, Mm -hmm. and so then when I finally like looked you up online, I was like, Oh, this is the, (laughs) this is the carrot top, like crazy redhead from Wisconsin. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's that guy. I had a good time. We'll put it that way. (laughs) I know. I, I know how to have fun. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, so when you were getting to the end of your college career, like even before getting into college, you knew that you wanted to play at the next level, um, whether that be the NBA or were you aware of the possibilities to play overseas? Yeah, I was. I was, um, you know, not early in my career, but like probably around like age 14 or 15. Hmm. You know, I kind of knew what the tracks kind of look like. Um, but this all came because of my brother, like and some other coaches that I had had. They had talked to me like, oh, yeah, this guy played here. He did this. So I was already kind of in that realm. So some mm-hmm. of the information I got, you know, is not, that I think is commonplace now is definitely not commonplace just because of the environments I was I was in when I was younger. Right. I had no idea about the overseas world until I was like pretty much a senior. Oh, really? Yeah. And maybe because that was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, yeah. And women, it, it was, maybe it was women's basketball. Different. It wasn't as popular yet to go overseas. Um but so, yeah, I didn't I didn't decide to go overseas until after my senior year. Um, but for you, you were already thinking about it. Yeah, it was it was really obvious for me. Like I went to school, you know, I didn't have aspirations of being like, oh, I'm going to be one and done. I didn't think I was going to be like that. Um, you know, I thought maybe I had a chance to uh, play in the NBA at the next level, depending on how well I did after a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I quickly realized oh, I'm just. I'm just like three inches too small. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not quite there. Like, oh, that's a dagger. <laughs> like, oh, physically I'm close. Like so close, 
but so far away to go to the next level. Like there were certain things you had to have physically that I was like, no, I just don't have those. Okay. So I kind of knew that overseas was probably going to be my route. And I was cool with that. You know, I've really enjoyed the game of basketball. It's, it's brought me to a lot of places and it's continued to, to bring me, um, to a lot of places. So it took me out of my comfort zone when I was growing up, when I was little, it was cool. I, you know, I didn't really enjoy my small town life that much. It brought me to Minneapolis and a lot of my close friends were from that. So I've always enjoyed the game. Um, and I've always like, yeah, I'm probably going to keep playing. Although a few times in college, I was like, I'd be down to just hang them up here, but mostly because of the situation within the university system. It's, it's a lot of pressure and, um, you know, just, it was way more business-like than I was really enjoying at the time. It was interesting. My high school coach always said that the purest form of basketball was high school basketball. Um, and then once you get to college, it gets more business-like. And obviously after that, it's a business. Um, but his words always kind of ring true in my ears. But um, so you you had a lot of national recognition your senior year. Um, and so I, I'm imagining that it wasn't hard for you to to find an agent, to sign an agent, because sometimes I have players coming to me asking me how I, how I got an agent. Um, so I tell them a little bit how I did it. But what was that process like for you? Um, for me, it wasn't too bad. I had guys, you know, guys had talked to me throughout the year while I was uh, my senior year. Um, and I hadn't really been in like a lot of contact. I wasn't a, a high profile prospect. That was a good one, but I wasn't super high profile like. If you look at my scoring averages at Wisconsin, I, I think I averaged like less than five points a game. People wouldn't know that. Yeah, I, I, have, I had a really low scoring average. Um, I was more of a defender, kind of a role guy and, you know, had a couple crazy injuries, stuff like that. So for me, it was, um, you know, I had agents hitting me up, guys on Facebook um, and emailing me and just asking around within the circle. And then I also had some former players that I had talked to. Um, older guys, guys that on my, you know, guys from Wisconsin, guys that I played, uh, played with, um, you know, in AAU or, you know, some of my coaching staff, I talked to them about it because when I was looking for an agent, I actually got no help from the university staff. Hmm. You know, that was one of the more interesting things is like you talked about your coaches, you know, women's are not really preparing their players for, uh, the next level. They're not really thinking past that college coaches are the same way at, at, at the men's level as well. They're more just like, okay, we have the next season. They always have a next season. But as soon as you leave, they don't really care. They're not really there to prepare you for what's about to happen in your professional life. So I didn't get any help on that side. Um, I just went to like former mentors of mine. And when it, when it came down to it, I signed with a guy who uh, a guy named Mike Nadich and we had talked about it. He said he could probably get me a, a couple of, um, you know, NBA workouts um, pre-draft workouts and then, you know, the outside chance of getting on a summer league team. Okay. So for me, I was like, yeah, we can do that. And and he had signed with a couple other Badgers had signed with him before and they, he had done well for them. Um, so for me, it was all right, cool. He kind of knows what I'm capable of and where to place me. It sounds like a good idea for right now. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, I ended up firing him. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we've all had that experience of, you know, just having to part ways, but, um, so, all right. So you then launch into your career overseas and you've played for the past six years, seven, seven, seven total years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, just tell me like, list them off. Where, where have you played? Started in, I started in Jerusalem, Israel. That was my first job. 
Um, my second job was in a small uh, small city in Slovenia called Grisuple. There's three G's in there. Have fun. <laughs> or three J's. Sorry, three J's in there. Um, and then there is uh, – I lived in Malta. Um, okay. And then I lived in Norway and played in Norway outside of Oslo. I uh, played in Sweden in a city called Ostersund. It's about seven hours north of Stockholm, a couple hours south of the Arctic Circle. Then I was wow. in uh, Latvia, a city called Ventspils, which is on the east, uh, uh, the yeah, the west coast of Latvia, like on the Baltic Sea. Okay. And then I uh, played for a team called uh, Priene Vitatus. I lived in Lithuania, a city called Priene. Uh, and then I got my contract bought out and I lived in Siberia, Russia, a city called Krasnoyarsk. And then this past year I started in Rhodes, Greece, um, island in the Mediterranean, and then, uh, changed teams to another small city in Lithuania called, uh, Pospolis. Wow. That is quite the repertoire of <laughs> countries. Um, you know, I've I've been playing for 12 years, but I've only played in two countries, Spain for 11 and Switzerland for one. Um, so we can't get into the ins and outs of every country because we'd be talking until tomorrow morning. Yeah. But um, I'm so interested just to hear, like, when you look back on those seven years, any culture shock stories that immediately come to mind? Um... I would say my first one was in Israel. Um, you know, I'd never really tried. I've only traveled outside the U.S. one other time. I went to a country called Estonia uh, for like an international trip in college. So Israel was my first experience abroad. Um, and man, the whole thing was a trip. It was crazy living out there. I had a weird uh, basketball experience in terms of my job. But, you know, living in Jerusalem was really cool. It was like walking through the Bible. I'm not a very religious person, but I was like, oh, man, I should read the Bible. Just like this is what they're talking about. All right. This is cool. So mm -hmm. that was really interesting culture shock wise. And just getting adjusted to, you know, actually living somewhere outside of America was really challenging. Sure. Um, and then the other one that was really culture, like really difficult was actually living in Siberia and Krasnoyarsk, uh, Russia. That was one of the more challenging experiences. I changed teams like halfway through the season. Um, so kind of got flipped upside down. And Russia's just very different. I, I've lived a lot of places at that point, And it's just very kind of uh, somber and very humbling. And you understand why all the Russian people write. Like why Russian literature is the way it is. It's, that's like the life. Okay, I can't say that I know a lot about Russian literature, so you might it's, have to. It's sad and gloomy and best enjoyed with whiskey or red wine. <laughs> like, if you understand, like, in a damp, like a damp, not so nice place. Okay. Yeah, that would be, a, it's, so it's kind of that way. Like, there is some life and they, you know, they have, you know, they have some fun. But just in terms of, like, their culture and everything, it's a very, ooh, very different culture out there. Did you eat a lot of borscht while you were there? Not so much. Some of it. The food out there is actually delicious. They have a lot of like they eat a lot of fish um, and they do a lot of stuff with mushrooms quite well. But okay. um, yeah, no, not so much borscht. I mean, there is a lot of American style stuff. They have, you know, all like where I lived in Krasnodar, I was like there was a Cinnabon in the mall across the street from me and everything. They had Papa John's and everything. So, you know, they had all kinds of food. 
um, right. that was very Americanized. Um, but, but you're really pretty, you're pretty healthy guy. So I'm assuming you weren't hitting up Cinnabon like every week. No, there was a good coffee spot next to it that I would go and hang out and have breakfast at. Okay. Um, what about the different ways people say hello? Because I know, you know, in some countries they give a kiss on each side in some countries they give three, um, after traveling to so many different places, did you like forget how to even say hi to someone or maybe you uh, just headbutted them by, on accident? No. Cause I haven't lived in too many kissing cultures. <laughs> I haven't lived in the kissing cultures that much. A lot of it's a hand, a lot of it's handshakes. Oh, really? Um, or a lot of it's like, like Norwegians, I think is the funniest. Hi, hi. Like that's how Norwegians say hi, hi. <laughs> oh gosh. What's up? <laughs> um, so that's one of the funnier ones, but in terms of like a lot of places just shake hands, like okay. espe- especially Baltic countries, you got to shake, like you walk into the locker room. If you see somebody for the first time in the day, even if it's your teammate, you got to shake every one of their hands. Like why i just saw you six hours ago but all right cool what's up man good to see you every day yeah so that was that was one but none none of the kissing culture stuff i was not in i haven't been to those places yet okay i guess i'm just stereotyping and thinking like europe in general does those things but you've been on a lot of teams not really in the central europe yeah i played in europe yeah yeah i played in north south middle east and far east right um, okay. Well, looking at, looking on the past, like six years, um, when you, if you were to give advice to young kids thinking about starting on this journey, um, what kind of characteristics do you think that you have that have allowed you to have a long and successful career overseas? Because it's not, um, it's not easy. It's not as glamorous as a lot of people think it is. Um, you spend a lot of time by yourself, but what, what kind of characteristics do you think an athlete needs to be able to, to hack it? Uh, well, the first one is, is a lot of like self-drive. That's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, for me, I have so much freedom now as a professional. Um, and I think every professional can attest to this is you have a lot of downtime and you have a lot of time to yourself and you have a lot of the, the only person who should really be invested in your next paycheck is you. So you're almost like a solo entrepreneur the whole time. So if you have that mindset, if you can, you know, if you can understand that your body and your basketball game is a business, um, that, that will make sure you have a longer career because you'll make decisions based off of that, not just off of, Oh, I really like this game. If you know, and that, that takes a while to understand. Um, so for younger players, it's just, trying to be an open sponge and be driven for what you want. Cause there's a lot of times you got to go to the gym by yourself. You got to miss out on parties. You know, I've missed out on a lot of beach days. I'm scared of the sun. I'm ginger. So it's fine. But, <laughs> um, you know, I missed out on a lot of stuff and, and that's the one thing that you're going to do. But at the end of the day, if it's something that you're really passionate about and, and want to do it, um, you should really go for it and you got to just kind of keep your head down and go. Right. Um, as far as coming from, you know, a top division one school in the States, uh, to all your experiences overseas, what have the resources been like on your different teams? Um, because I think a lot of, a lot of young kids, the university system in the States is unbelievable and people are given so much and the facilities are 
spotless and pristine and top notch. And then all of a sudden they become a professional and they go overseas and it's definitely not like it is at the D1 level in the States. Um, What types of things, obstacles did you maybe face as far as um, medical treatment, um, just getting ice after a game, little things like that? So one thing that I uh, heard a lot of horror stories when I was, you know, 16, 17, hanging out with a bunch of these pros. So I had heard kind of how to handle some of these situations. And uh, luckily, going through the university system, I tried to take as much advantage of it as I could of learning what procedures you're doing and why they're doing certain things to your body. Because at, at okay. the medical system at the university level, it's very high level. There's trainers. It's very, you know, it's kind of a teaching situation. And you have a lot of very good physical therapists that are you're working with, team doctors that are very good, play, uh, very good at their job. So you need to learn from them as much as you possibly can. And I was told by, uh, you know, older guys, learn from them, take what you can, and always try and steal extra rubber bands, small little, like, small rehab equipment, try and steal as much as you can from the universities. Because <laughs> when you go overseas, it's very rare, unless you're on one of the top teams. You know, you can feel, once you start getting up into higher echelons, you know, Euro Cup, Euro League teams, you know, the facilities um, start to get better at but it's not always the case. You know, a rich team might have poor facilities. It just depends on where they were before. So, um, you know, you might have one doctor who's there most of the time. You know, you, my situation was we had a, we had a woman where I was in Lithuania this year, we had a woman who was a nurse and she was donating her time. So there was certain days where she wouldn't be there cause she had to do her job. So, you know, I've been in that, those situations Um, you know, getting ice is a super struggle. There is no such thing as ice machines. A lot of places like they just don't do it. We don't understand why they just, they just don't do it. So getting ice has been pretty challenging. Not all the time. Most leagues are pretty professional about it, but you know, there's a lot on away games, not going to happen. You know, when you're flying home, we had a lot of European trips where we'd have to fly some budget airlines, get, you know, canceled, spent a lot of times in airports terrible so you got to be able to manage your body that way mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with flights and everything because you're constantly traveling so you always have to have a, a rolling ball so there's um there's a lot of different obstacles that come with your your physical well-being when you're abroad and sometimes you just have some crazy doctors that just oh no i want to do this and you have to shake it off and say no no no, don't touch me leave me alone because they're just they're there they're trying to get paid it's it's uh it's different it's definitely different. You got to be very self-sufficient. Have you had any serious injuries in the last seven years? Um, I've hyperextended my knee, um, had a few really bad ankle sprains, and I've broken my nose. Okay. So I actually had surgery when I was living in Latvia. Um, For your nose? Yeah, I had I had my nose broken. That was a miserable experience. <laughs> it looks pretty straight now. Yeah, it's not bad. They didn't do. They did an okay job. It's a nose. Like it's not that complicated to fix. Just the post. The post operation care was tremendous. <laughs> I was in a room with three other people who all had significant facial reconstructive surgeries for some reason or another. Yeah, it's me and four other dudes hanging out, tooling my cord. I was like, oh god, I had like a mask over my face. It was not an ideal situation for me. <laughs> The food oh. they give you is subpar at best, like some kind of crusty old bread and some soup. <laughs> it's just not ideal. 
What about in those situations, as far as the language barrier, were you able to communicate with the staff, the medical staff? Google Translate is a as a godsend. Google Translate is, I've Google Translated my way through a lot of things. Um, okay. Especially living in Russia. That was one of the more challenging things. Like where I lived in Russia, nobody was speaking English. Hmm. Very rarely would there be, you know, some restaurants would have English, but very few. And speaking it was non-existent. So whole conversations, ordering food, always with Google Translate. It's been that way in a couple couple countries, actually. Okay. Um, I had to laugh this morning because I was telling you that I had to kind of look you up a little bit and refresh my memory um, just about what you've been doing the past seven years. And I saw that you have kept a blog on and off throughout the last seven years and done uh, several podcasts. And as I was reading one of your blog posts, um, I actually laughed out loud because you were talking about an injury and just being injured overseas. And I think your specific, well, I don't know if it was your specific sentence, but it was something along the lines of <laughs> sit your tuckus, <laughs> sit your tuckus down in an airplane seat and get and go home or something like that. And the word tuckus, is that how you pronounce it? Probably. Yeah. Tuckus. Tuckus. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I've hardly ever used that word myself, and I've probably word. read it and heard it a couple times. But when I saw it on your blog post, I literally started laughing out loud. And, you know, it's hard when you get injured overseas. It's hard to know um, what to do if the club really has your best interest in mind. Do you go home? Um, it's it's a sticky situation. It, it's always a sticky situation. and And from my experience... Almost never does the club have your best best wishes at hand. Like there might be a couple people in there that are genuinely concerned about you as a human being, for sure. But as as a whole, it's nah. Let's keep this operation moving. You're not able to help us. All right, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, some organizations are really good. There's a couple in Spain. Uh, one guy actually, he he had just showed up like two weeks before, and then he uh, had a pretty terrible ACL sprain in the game and the team was like all right we'll sign you for next year you know that was one of the cases that that was really cool but very few teams do that it's usually oh you're injured you can't help us win and you're not a local all right see you yeah on to the next so you know that was one thing that's always been challenging is you got to really look out for it some teams are going to push you through injuries you know that's that's one thing that was common i had a severe ankle sprain two years ago um, probably had some pretty decent ligament damage and I still played through it in the finals. I chose to do that. The club didn't make me, but you know, my coaches were pushing me to practice and do all kinds of stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, they don't care. They just want to win. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what happens in that point, you really got to protect yourself and you got to know yourself. Sometimes it's best to go home. Um, but then, you know, clubs threaten not to play, they don't pay for it. And, and there's all, all kinds of situations that are, are different, especially when you're injured overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, changing directions a little bit. You've played in many different countries. You've seen the system in those countries. Um, how do you think the system of Europe or the Baltic area or um, Israel compares to the system in the United States? I'm assuming that the places you've played are similar to Spain where there's a club and maybe as a young kid, you can play up and you can be playing with professionals, even though you're 15, 16 years old, kind of like a, a Ricky Rubio thing or a Luka Doncic thing where they were able to play up. 
Um, mm -hmm. Whereas in the United States, you go to high school, you're playing with kids your own age, then finally you go to college, but you might play with someone who's at the oldest, maybe 24, maybe. Um, how do you see those two systems? And if you could choose, do you have, do you, would you prefer one over the other? Um, I've thought a lot about this actually. So I, in terms of like sheer development, um, you know, the club, the club sports and the, and the youth in the club are kind of similar, you know, obviously when you get into youth sports and they run camps, the clubs kind of do the same thing, but it's usually on the weekend. So it's, it's the same concept for youth players, right? They maybe have some practices during the week, but it's it's almost like a club style, even though they might have a school attached to it. Um, but as you get older, like I like the the club style because it treats them more like professionals. You know, it's separate from the school in terms of for, for the basketball players themselves. I think you can get more done. I mean, especially when you start getting into like the higher level academies, as we both know, like the big time academies, they have that um, development, f like basically from like 13 on. Right academies in the u.s or academies no academies in in spain and or europe you know like real madrid has their basketball academy um you know they have a school like special they 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 go to school in madrid and then they're training with real madrid as their you know kind of rights okay um so the academy system works well i think in terms of changing it to like how you can pay players and how it's going to eventually shift because i think i think Amer the u.s system is going to shift to that but in terms of how the game is presented and like the atmospheres for the games. I think you like like the United States has a huge advantage because if you look at like what the schools bring, they bring a lot of camaraderie to a community, which is why people love them, love their sports so much here is because there's so much good feelings and camaraderie within that. So in terms of bringing people together, marketing it as a business, like the United States university system is, is very high level. It just needs to, generate money for the players then it'll be interesting <laughs> okay um yeah it's something that i think about a lot too but for example in europe if you're a young kid and you're being brought up to play with the senior team and you're they practice in the morning and they practice in the evening when do you get your schoolwork done i mean you haven't even graduated high school yet um, for them, like, cause I've had that. So in every team, we usually have two or three younger players, like two of the three, of the top best, best use players have always been under contract with like our teams or the teams that I've played on. Mm -hmm. And so those kids, um, the school system works a little bit differently in Europe and depending on which country you're in, there is ways around it where they can go, okay, I have to go to school these days. It's not a tra as traditional as the American system of you're in school from eight to three. They sometimes have shifts or, you know, reduce school hours, everything like that. And how they do it is, is a little bit different. So when when I was in, you know, when I was in Israel, we always had practice at the same time. And they just told their teachers like, hey, I'm going to move this class. So almost similar, more similar to like a university type setting. Okay. Interesting. I mean, you've played in a lot of different places. So you've seen and had a lot of different teammates. Um, what about any of the older guys? Like, did you have teammates that were still working towards their college degree or trying to study at the same time that they were playing? Because this this podcast is called Another Season in the Books. So yeah. it has, you know, the double meaning, another season come and gone and another season studying. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, I, I look at it and I, I just feel like it's really hard for some of these athletes to get their college degree and continue playing. Depending how much money you make, a lot of these guys, they're going to need something to fall back on. Um, and here in, in Spain, I've seen that in different clubs and 
I just think, wow, you're not even, you don't have a college degree, but you can't even go to class because it's just too hard because you're kind of a professional. Yeah. And for them, it's challenging for them. But I think that's, you know, I've talked to a few of those guys, their goals is to play professionally. And so, you know, kind of the sacrifices me and you had to make when we were at university playing, they're just having to do it at a little bit earlier in age. Okay. Um, what about, so, it, yeah, it's like a calculated risk, right? Yeah. I mean, it's what do you want to do? Do you want to do this? Okay, then this is the, this is the path you got to take, unfortunately. Yeah. What about you in the last seven years? Have you thought about what you might like to do after you're done playing? I mean, I've been playing for 12 years, so you got at least five more, at least, left in you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what the market looks like after this whole shenan- this whole world shenanigans happens. True, true. But as, as time has gone on, like to fill the hours during your day, have you thought about studying anything or, um, I don't know, just thinking about what, what's next? Uh, yeah, I've, I've spent some time on it. Um, you know, usually when the summer comes home, like I had two years where I ran my own basketball camps, had my own training company, did that for a couple of years. Um, it was okay. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go and work for one of my best friends, um, out in Raleigh, North Carolina, doing some franchising and working in estate sales. Um, so I had, I worked for him for two summers, um, slept on his couch, did a bunch of copywriting and business stuff with him. So I've kind of tried to keep an open mind as to what would go next and trying to add some, you know, life skills every summer I come home. Um, you know, two years ago, what was it? Yeah. Last summer I, I just came home and I trained full time. It was really one of the first summers I had taken off of not working or doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was nice. And then, um, you know, as I move forward, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, thought about doing some broadcasting. Um, that's some things because I still do a, a weekly radio show in Madison. Talk about the Badgers from basically from Christmas till the NCAA tournament. Okay. So that's one thing I've thought about. Um, one of my best friends who I've worked for, he has, uh, me and him have talked about possibly working together on his next business adventure. I'm not really sure which would, that would look like, but in a, in a uh-huh. few years, maybe working together once he, he finishes up his due diligence with his first company that he sold. So, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I've tried to keep my options open um, and it's something that I've constantly tried to do. That's why I did so much blog work and podcasting. It was just trying to keep my name relevant and, and see what I was good at. And that's really what I would suggest for a lot of people in my position um, who want to be, you know, basketball players. Unfortunately, it has a has an end date. It's not one of those things where you can do it with your mind. Now your body's going to, you know, time is undefeated, as we always say. So what's going to happen next is, you know, something that I'm still trying to figure out. But um, as long as as long as I keep going, I'll be fine. Uh huh. Well, you're keeping your options open. And I think it's you know, being able to play for so many years and figure out what you like, dedicate your time to different interests. I mean, it's a, it's a benefit of having the time to do that. So um, I think that's great. And um, as we're kind of wrapping up, because we've been talking for a while here, I have some rapid fire, a couple rapid fire questions for you. Um, Love it. So (laughs) uh, what's your jersey number and why? Number 31. And it was the first number I had for my first AAU team that I really enjoyed playing. It was called the Minnesota Red Eagles. Okay. And so that was why it was the number that was given to me. And since then, that's what it's been. Have you been able to have 31 on the majority of your teams? Yes. This year I was not, this, this was the first year I really wasn't able to have 31 on any of my teams. Okay. It was disappointing. 
<laughs> I bet. Well, when I first came to Spain, I couldn't have 45 because they had a, they only were doing numbers from up to, to like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. For the score clocks. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now you can. So, um, when you go overseas, is there any specific food product that you have to bring in your suitcase that you know you can't, you know, find overseas? Lowry's seasoning salt. <laughs> I bring two of them. <laughs> shout out, okay. shout out to my teammate D'Angelo Harrison. That man showed me. I was like, he brought them last year, and I was like, oh my god, he's right. Why do I not bring these? So I definitely brought two giant ones this year. Okay. And that's that's the new go-to from now on. Yeah, sometimes I go to Sam's Club or uh, Costco and get like a big thing of something and put it in my suitcase. But um, all right. Now, this one might make you think, but over the years and all the different countries that you've played in, are do you have any favorite words that you've learned? Like just with how they sound or how they roll out of your mouth? Like, uh, yeah, Shekin. Shekin? Yeah. Veldi what Shek. country? This is Norwegian. Okay. It means handsome handsome shekin yeah, shekin and i and i also really enjoy the word kushli 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 yeah it's, it means cozy in norwegian okay yeah i'm a big fan <laughs> all right so i'm assuming these were words that you used or people use towards you a lot and that's uh, maybe yeah. why you also enjoy them yeah i'm uh yeah <laughs> like what's up okay i love it um, and on the court, uh, what's your go-to favorite move? <sighs> Probably a, what is it? Catch on my left foot, right foot, jab, step, uh, le- uh, left pound, step back three. Okay. So right jab into a step back three, left hand pull back, step back three. That was one of them for sure. All right. Is there any move that you have never really mastered and that you don't really like? There's a lot of them. <laughs> There's a lot of moves that I haven't mastered that I do like. But the one, the one I think I, I think looks dumb too is the the up and under where you step through and you actually lift your pivot foot and go into a one-handed layup. I think it looks dumb. <laughs> I think it's a travel every time, and I think it looks dumb. There, I said it. Okay. Okay. I will not uh, show you any of my post moves because I've been known to do that one. So. Yeah, we know. <laughs> I've seen you do your post move once or twice. We've worked out a couple times. Well, I know. I was thinking back to like when I think about you, the um I think you were basically the first person to introduce me to Ed Sheeran. Oh, good for me. I know. I know. We had worked out in the morning at De La Salle High School early one morning, summer morning. And as I think we were driving at the same time down Hennepin Avenue or something like that. And I'm pretty sure you had Ed Sheeran blasting oh, from your abs- car. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That sounds like a very me thing to do after a workout. Oh, for I sure. I know. And I can't remember how many years ago that was. But yeah, that was like kind of when you introduced me to Ed Sheeran. And I have liked him ever since. Um, but Mike, that pretty much brings us to the end of uh, today's podcast. So I really just want to thank you for your time because it's been over an hour, I think. Um I didn't have a lot and... to do anyway, so thanks. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for eating up an hour for me. I've been doing nothing, so this was enjoyable. Well, I'm telling you, in this quarantine situation, it is. It's nice having this uh, human interaction, good conversations, because the days get long for sure. Oh, they definitely do. I'll send you a picture of what my vibe was like this morning on day 12. 
you'll enjoy it. That's that's where I needed to do this morning to get a little get a little zen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, you take care. Uh, hopefully, you're going to be seeing your parents in a couple days because once you've been in quarantine, am I saying that right? Quarantine, quarantine. Quarantine for like two weeks, you should be good, right? Yeah, generally speaking, I think it could be everywhere. But for me, uh, I'm just excited to go hang out with my family. We kind of took extra precaution and um, I've taken it super serious. I've only been, I think I went to two drive throughs So that was, that was about it. I was like, all right, I got to have like, I gotta have a Culver's double, like Culver's <laughs> b- b- butter burger and some a chocolate shake. Like, I haven't had this in a while, so that was like, I waited. I waited till later in the week to do it. I was like, all right, when well, I'm going real stir crazy, like we're gonna go get bananas here. So, but until then, yeah, I'm gonna go hang out with them and see what happens with the world. Yeah, they don't have. They have Domino's, Taco Bell, you know, McDonald's. They don't have Culver's in Spain. They don't have Culver's anywhere except for the Midwest. It's great. Hmm. Um, well, thank you. Good luck in the future. I wonder where you'll be playing next year. Um, you probably don't know yet either, but uh, you'll have to keep me posted. I will. Appreciate it. And there you have it. A quick recap on the life of Mike Bruzewitz and what his professional overseas career has looked like over the past seven years. Mike has played in quite a few leagues, the most competitive ones being Russia and Israel. The league in Malta, Italy wasn't great, but life on the island sure made up for whatever was lacking on the basketball court. It sounds like Mike has soaked up the cultural opportunities he's been given and has thoroughly enjoyed the journey, which in my opinion is what it's all about. We'll have to check back in with Mike sometime next year to see where your eight has brought him. And if you get a chance, check out the radio show, The Wisconsin Basketball Roundtable, where you'll hear Mike talking Badgers basketball. Next week, we'll be back with another life story focused on athletics and academics featuring Spaniard Sebastian Mbansogo. Thank you for listening, everyone. And if you enjoyed this week's podcast, please take a moment to let us know. Your support means a lot. And remember, you can find another season in the books on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Leslie Knight, and before I go, I want to give a shout out to the one and only Mans, otherwise known as Pooch. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.